Lords of Limited is proud to be brought to you in part by StarCityGames.com. Not only are they the home of the top content and coverage on the web, they're also the world's largest independent retailer for Magic the Gathering singles and supplies. For more information, visit StarCityGames.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, fresh off of GP Cleveland, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, how was the GP? It was a roller coaster of emotions, Ben, but all in all, it was an incredibly fun weekend. Um, yeah, we're going to get into my spoiler alert, day two progress, uh, but I had a, a very full weekend of magical gatherings. How about you, buddy? Yeah, it was super awesome following you on Twitter. I was very hyped to see you doing well. I was living vicariously through you via Twitter. Yeah, that, that was a tough thing to do. I mean, if I ever do that again, I think I might have to consolidate, just like decide to only update on one platform. But I was like texting people, updating in Discord <laughs> and updating on Twitter. And it was a lot to like, <laughs> to be responsible for. But uh, but it was really awesome to to feel very supported by people through all of those various platforms. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, you know, we'll we'll talk about my progress with the GP. I think I have a lot of interesting spots that I'm curious to hear your takes on or just like I feel like a lot of my prep from the episode last week and your help as well and all of my prep on stream really like led to me making good decisions in the GP. And it also felt like nice that sort of my luck maybe lined up for the right day because I, I, you know, even after doing all of my seals, I never 5-0'd a league on Magic Online. Consistency, man. 4-1's just as good as 5-0 to make day two. Exactly. That's very, very true. So uh, let's uh, check in on the trophy leaderboard before we get into anything else. Yeah, I have not played a ton of Magic last week. I've only managed a few drafts. So I now have 47 drafts on MTGO, 96 and 41, got another trophy. So I have 15 trophies and still hovering at a 70% win rate. Nice. Yeah, I actually haven't done any drafts since our last episode because I was just doing seals for uh, for preparation for the GP. So I in sealed, I had a 58 and 30 record at the end of everything with zero trophies. But yeah, almost uh, that 67% win rate that I am, am known for. Yeah, very nice. Yeah, I played on Arena some, but it was with my brothers over Skype. So I haven't been tracking that. Were you doing best of three RNA or the Guilds of Ravnica? I will never cast another Healer's Hawk in my life. <laughs> Best of three RNA. I will say that uh, I've been watching some of Michael Jacobs' Darkest Mage stream over the past week because he was playing some Guilds of Ravnica Best of One, and he is just forcing like five color green. He's like, this is the best deck. The bots don't know what they're doing. And like his decks look sweet. I'm like, I was never able to build a deck like that during like regular Guilds of Ravnica, so I'm a little enticed by that so i may dip my toe in before it's over getting that itch back well you know yeah yeah i didn't get enough magic this week and now i'm like hmm, maybe i'll play this format that i didn't really like that much <laughs> um so that's where i'm at the other thing that i want to talk about before we get into the gp is the patreon ben we are not only proudly sponsored by starcitygames.com which is sweet but we are proudly sponsored by you the listeners via the patreon patreon.com slash lords of limited is where you can go to give back to the show if you so choose of course the show will always be free but you get a little a little something something if you want to get back to the show. And of course, everyone who does gets access to the Lords of Limited Discord, where you can get updates from people like me who compete in GPs, people like some pros that we have in chat who talk about their PT experience, which is awesome, or their, I'm sorry, their MC experience. And uh, just a lot of really awesome stuff happening in the Discord, a lot of support, a lot of help, a lot of really helpful discussions. Um, even as we are, you know, four, five, six weeks deep into Ravnica Allegiance, there's still picks that we're discussing. If you are checking out the Guilds of Ravnica Best of Ones on Arena. We've also got you covered there with folks trying to figure out what picks, what builds to make. All that good stuff is available for you in the Discord. And we, of course, want to welcome each and every new person the first week that they join. So this week, we'd like to welcome Tom, Nick, 
Tyson, and Balash. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, I cannot say thank you enough. And I will add that it's super cool for me. You know, I really would love to play on the PT like once or and I do like, you know, competing at high levels. So just watching and seeing your decks from the GP and like Ari Lax posting his draft picks from his first draft at the PT, like just getting to like put myself in that seat and think, what would I do is a really cool part of the discord for me. Yeah, agreed. I do not have that hunger for the high competitive level uh, that you do. I, I just I, I feel too like nauseous during those <laughs> those rounds. I was talking at the end. Uh, so Sam Eilenfeldt, who is the rookie of the year, he uh, he is very gracious to like make me feel welcome in his presence. And I was hanging out with him between rounds a lot during the GP and then name drop Wyatt Darby was there as well. And I was just like, I don't know how you guys do this. And for Wyatt, you know, he like played in the PT day one and then played in the GP and then day two, the GP. That's just like three straight days of eight, nine rounds of magic. I was at the convention center on Saturday from 9am until 8pm. That's so long and exhausting. And like, it's not only mentally taxing, but it's emotionally taxing. And he was like, this is what I want to do all the time. I was like, well, that is why you are a pro tour winner. And I feel like throwing up right now. <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't want to do it every week, certainly. But like, just one time, it would be cool to sit down at a draft bot at the PT. Yeah, I, I agree with that for sure. But then you have to play five rounds of standard after that. You know that, right? I know that would be the worst. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So before we get into our main feature for the episode today, which is going to be taking a look at the day two draft pod for the Mythic Championship, uh, I'm just going to sort of monologue about my weekend because I think a lot of really cool stuff happened. Uh, and Ben, please feel free to cut me off whenever. Will do. So uh, I got in Thursday night and then Friday went to the convention center uh, at nine and got to sort of like walk around while the first Mythic Championship draft happened because it was like sort of open spectator stuff. So like got to see like the feature match area and all the like crazy camera stuff. I think one of like the security guards was like, this is some ESPN stuff going on over here. Like he was really impressed by the setup that uh, that Wizards had there. Um, but that was just like really cool to be in a room with like all the pros. And that wouldn't be something that I would ever have the opportunity to do if it wasn't at the same center as the GP. So was it like, was it a situation where you could just like look over people's shoulders while they were drafting? The, the short answer is yes, but only if they were on the periphery of the center. So like you couldn't go into like the between the aisles of the tables. But if someone was sitting on the edge, like I watched like Reed Duke's second pack of his first draft or like then I went around and like watched a little bit of Owen's draft. Like so you could really see what they were doing and like see them like reviewing their picks and stuff. That is awesome. Yeah, it was really, really cool. So that was pretty awesome. And then uh, stayed in there for like an hour and then went and did a couple of these like last chance qualifiers to try and get a couple buys for the GP. And I did not do well in those. I O-1'd both of them. The second one was perhaps the worst pool that I had ever opened at that point. I opened in the same pack, a foil Kaya and a regular Kaya. <laughs> And I was like, this is just about the luckiest I've ever been. <laughs> uh, and the first one, I had a really good pool. It was like a green, blue gates deck with two open the gates. It felt like really good and consistent. And in game three, I discarded a hand size on turn three, discarding gate Colossus, and then promptly forgot about it as I continued to stack cards on top of it. Um, and Yikes. that is probably what lost me the game, in addition to maybe a couple other misplays. But that was the biggest one. After I played my third gate, I was like, oh... Interesting. I think I remember something that exists in my graveyard that I should have paid attention to. So uh, no one popping out my graveyard like they do on Magic Online there. So that uh, is something that I was like, well, that's a good thing to 
check off there and know to not miss for next time. So did a couple of those, uh, decided to not do anything else, went back to the Airbnb, had a little pizza party, played some uh, Uncommon Cube, and went to bed. So then got up at the crack of 7.30, headed over to the convention center, sat down, you know, you get your pools, and it's already pre-registered. So instead of getting, like, the sheet that has all the cards on it and you have to, like, mark down how many you open like you did in the uh, last chance qualifiers, you just get a sheet with, like, only the cards that you opened and only the amount. Uh, You still then pass that sheet to the person across from you and you have to, like, verify that pool. And so as I'm verifying my pool or, like, we're finishing up verifying my pool, then I, like, am looking at my sheet that is upside down trying to, like, pre-build my deck. I'm like, what do I have? And, of course, I had already checked, like, I went to, like, the gold cards, do I have Ethereal Absolution? Nope. Do I have Hydroid Crisis? Nope. And of course, my like, heart is sinking. I'm like, well, I didn't win the lottery, <laughs> so like, what am I going to do? And then as I'm looking at the sheet upside down, I'm noticing like, oh, I've got a Judith. I've got a Bedeck Bedevil. got a Skargan Hellkite. So this thing is like not the worst. And then when I finally get my sheet back and I'm looking through my pool, it's pretty apparent that I have like a very clear Rakdos deck. You know, it's not like anything incredible, but you know, as I said, I have those three rares that are on color. I had a Rakdos Firewheeler, I had two Dead Revels and two Plague Whites, and a Get the Point. So that all felt really, really strong. And then I had two Gruel Guildgates, so I was able to splash a Savage Smash and a Frenzied Arynx. Um, I posted a full picture of the pool on Twitter, so you can go check that out at the end of uh, day one, which was Saturday. So if you want to see it uh, in its glory, but you know, it was a pretty straightforward red black deck in my opinion and it's so funny because i was like pretty happy with it and i was like making eye contact with my opponent or not my opponent but the guy who was sitting across from me who had registered my pool and he was sort of giving me this like these eyes of like sorry man that's a it's like a rough pool you opened there but i was feeling really happy because you know our biggest takeaway from last week was consistency consistency and the fact that i was able to build a pretty strong two-color assertive deck made me happy yeah when you texted me the picture i was like great like if you had shown me that picture or you i think prior to the gp both of us would have said yep keep like we would not you would not throw away that pool in the hopes of another pool you know what i mean like that's definitely an above average pool i think i think so too i mean i I, like i wasn't thinking like oh i'm in a nino at this but i was like this looks like those nino decks that we saw from gp strasburg last week right that's what i thought when i saw it like it was it looked good and the other thing that was really exciting was that I did have access to a second deck. Um, it wasn't as strong by any means, but I did build a second deck as I uh, planned to do. And it was a, just a blue, green, splashing white gate deck that had a gate colossus as its payoff. It didn't have anything super exciting. It had a couple Soraform hybrids, which was nice, but green was like pretty shallow. Um, and had Aramunculus and a Senate Courier. And I had texted you like, oh, I think I maybe I'll bring this in against like big green decks because it had like two rampaging Rendhorns and stuff. But as it turned out, I ended up siding that in against Afterlife decks because I found that my Rakdos deck didn't do too well against like two ones that could then turn into one one flyers. I mean, my red black deck had a problem against flyers in general. Um, which is what I found throughout the tournament. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. But so I did build a second deck. And for anyone out there who was wondering, I was like, it's totally legal. I had like talked to a judge the day before because I had had some sort of differing opinions in Twitch chat about like what I was able to do in terms of like writing down a, a deck list or whatever prior to it. This ended up being a sort of very easy scenario because the two decks had a total of three cards in overlap. So it was very easy for me to remember like what I was going to take out of my first deck and put in the second deck if I was going to side into it. So were you able to pull off like the sneaky swap like and catch your opponents totally off guard? Funny that you should ask. So moving into match one, uh, I'm playing against a sort of just like Mardu aggro deck with afterlife tokens. Um, and in game one, I'm facing ill-gotten inheritance and trying 
to race it, and my opponent taps out of a crucial turn, um, where I think was a turn where they should have cracked ill-gotten inheritance, but they chose not to. And then I believe they had forgotten that Skarg and Hellkite could gain haste because I had gotten it back with a Dead Revels. And so they were at seven, and I had a Rakdos Firewheeler in play, and I was able to then go, all right, here's Hellkite with haste, attack for eight. And they were not happy about that. There was some swearing that occurred. They were clearly like a little on tilt. Um, oh, no. So, yeah, I mean, well, you know, that's... Uh, it's not my fault. So uh, move into game two, and I just can't beat the Flyers. You know, I'm facing like two Syndicate Messengers, an Afterlife Token, and a Concordia Pegasus, and my clock is dwindling pretty quickly. So then I'm going to game three, and and, and I should, should have prefaced by saying, you know, as we said last week, I was choosing to be on the draw in the dark. Even with my assertive Rakdos deck, I felt like being on the draw in the dark was a good call. I just didn't feel like it was going to be a good move against this opponent. I was like, I don't think this Rakdos deck is lining up well. So I pull out my Bant deck and I'm looking through it and I'm seeing that there's like the, there are flyers, there are big creatures, which is good to pressure these like little, like so that my opponent is forced to chump block or whatever. And most importantly, it has Gate Colossus, which Orzhov decks have a real hard time dealing with because most of their creatures can't block it. So I make the swap. I think I made like another change to it uh, that, that I previously planned to, but I don't quite remember what it was. And so then I go like, Forest Island Sages Rosavant, and my opponent like looks at my deck box, looks back at me, <laughs> and he's like, Did you build another deck? And I was like, Yep. <laughs> so we're playing through the game, and it's still not really looking that good for me. We've got like a, a board stall. I don't have my white sources out, and I'm stuck with my summary judgment and Sphinx's insight in my hand. It's not looking good for me. Uh, my, my good friend Stunlock comes over. He's like watching me from behind. And I swing in with a Gate Colossus once, get in, swing in again, and I get a chump block out of my opponent. And then they have what looks like lethal, right? They're attacking, I think, like seven creatures into my three and a clutch slime bind on a token with lifelink is able to let me survive the attack and then have no blockers for me to crack back with lethal. Nice. So a game that like really looked like I wasn't going to win, I ended up winning. Like when Matt came over, he was like, yeah, that did not look like you were going to be able to do it. So so we started at 1-0. Match two is like really not exciting. We went 2-0 against a, a Gruul deck that didn't really do very much. Match three, we played against an Azorius deck with a Dovin. My opponent got flooded game one and mana screwed game two. Um, so not much to write home about there. So, so we're 3-0 to start the tournament, which feels really good. But then of course... After your 3-0 means that now you are starting to face people who have three buys, which are the, the pros who are coming in from not day twoing the mythic championship. So they're absolute scrubs, right? They're absolute scrubs. So uh, <laughs> I faced one of them uh, in round four, and he just had a fantastic Rakdos deck. Uh, he had like Rixmati, Electrodominance. Um, I'm trying to remember. He had like two other on-color Rakdos rares. It was really, really consistent. I think he was, oh, and was also, of course, splashing Ethereal Absolution, which he never deployed, but showed me afterwards. Um, so he, he won game one pretty handily. And this was, I think, my first mistake of the tournament was I did not elect to be on the play against him, um, which I then rectified in later rounds. Uh, so I did not choose to be on the play and he, he did beat me again in game two. And I think it might have gone differently had I been a turn ahead of him, you know? So we're three one. That's fine. Um, so then we go to round number five, and we face uh, a Mardu aggro deck again. And, well, we've been there before, so we lost game one, but now I know what to do. So I side into my Bant deck and win game two. And 
do not win game three. My opponent had unbreakable formation both games two and three, which is just a really hard card to deal with. Um, I was able to take care of a game two, but game three, not quite able to get there. So our fantastic 3-0 start goes to a 3-2, and I am just feeling terrible. But I remember saying to people around me, I was like, if I'm going to lose today, I really hope I lose like the next round. I want to be 3-3. I don't want to go 5-3. That's just the worst to like play all the rounds and then still not day two. Yeah, that would be brutal. Yeah, pretty brutal. So so we move on to uh, to round number six at three and two, and we face a really good Simic aggro deck. Um, I don't quite remember how we won game one, but in game two, my opponent mulliganed to six on the play because they had chosen to take the play with their aggro deck, went turn one benthic biomancer, turn two adapt, turn three soriform hybrid, plus they cast incubation and missed Oh, and I was like, oh, I've got I'm I'm moving on. I got this game locked up. But then they cast a shark to crab on four and I just could not race the like two two twos they already had. And this five five that like stopped me from being able to block. So we're going to game three and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I cannot put myself on the draw against this person. I don't think this Bant deck that I have in the sideboard is appropriate. So for the first time in the tournament, I make the choice to be on the play with this deck and I side out of the green splash. So I take out Frenzied Arynx and Savage Smash. I take out the Gruel Guild Gates in the forest, and I put in a Catacomb Crocodile and an Undercity's Embrace. Okay. And I put myself on the play, and that is able to get the job done. Nice. So that felt good. I was like, okay, I'm not going to make the same mistake that I made against this other Rakdos aggro deck that I faced. Like, I'm facing an aggro deck. I should be on the play, but I think I need to have a more consistent mana base to be able to do that, and no tap lands. So that felt good. I was like, all right, great. So we're four and two. Sounds good. Round number seven, uh, we face another uh, pro who was not able to day two the Mythic Championship. They are also on a Rakdos deck, and we're just able to take that match pretty easily 2-0. At the end of it, he was like, I don't think there's anything I could have done. I was like, nope, I don't think so. Like, it just, the, the games did not line up well in his favor. And he was clearly pretty bummed, and he was like, please, please make day two. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to try, man. I'm going to try my best. Um, so I'm 5-2. And then, of course, when you are 5-2, you sit around all the other people who have similar records as you. So you're just, like, surrounded by everyone who is sweating this final round as you sit down because you have to have a record of 6-2 to move on to day two. And I asked my opponent, like, how long they had been on the ropes for, and they started out the day one and two. Ooh. Just rattled off four wins in a row, and now they're sitting down against me. And unfortunately, the games are not very close. Uh, my Rakdos deck is able to take two games to zero. And I don't really remember much of it because all I would, cared about texting people was that I made day two, which was <laughs> so exciting. Yeah, that was awesome. It was really, really fun. Uh, and then you have to play another round after that, which is ridiculous. So you have to play like the first round of what's technically day two on day one. So you're now playing um, round number nine with your sealed deck. And you would think that it would be a group of like ecstatic people but it felt kind of like a graveyard and maybe that had to do with more of the fact that like everyone was just exhausted from playing eight rounds of magic which i certainly was so in round number nine for the first time all day luckily it was the first time i played against hydroid crisis Oof. so my opponent has a teamer deck uh, it looks like they were splashing for like frenzied erinx i'm not sure what else 
but like just a pretty good Simic deck splashing red with a Hydroid Crisis. I lose game one, and we've been here before, right? We know what to do when we are against a curve out deck. Side out that green splash, put ourselves on the play. So we curve out against them. They cast Hydroid Crisis again in game number two, but it's just not enough. Like our force of Plague Whites and Rakdos Fire Wheeler is just like able to get the job done. And then game three of round number nine is the first game all day where Skargon Hellkite just takes over, which felt pretty good. Most of the day, I had really just been giving it haste. I hadn't been trying to like worry about taking over the game with its activation. It was either coming down as a 5-5 to be able to block Frenzied Aranx, or it was coming down as a 4-4 haste to try and close out the game. Weird. And this was the first time where it came down as a 5-5 to block Frenzied Aranx, but then it was able to go to like I don't know, a few turns later, and then I had eight mana, and I was just picking off like two creatures at a time until they were out of stuff, and, and I won the game. So end of the day at 7-2. Feeling awesome. Feeling awesome. Go get some food, go home, do a little draft on Magic Online, because I haven't drafted in two weeks, and then go to bed. And wake up the next day for drafts. I know how to draft. Yeah, I was I was legitimately thinking like, you know, if I were like, if you told me you're 7-2, I'd put money on you to 6-0. Yeah. I mean, not like tons of money, but you're capable of doing it, certainly as much as anybody else in the room. I've trophied two times in a row before. It could happen again. So this is my first time doing the, like a competitive REL draft, like one of those like time drafts. Um, can't look at your picks until you're like between packs. I'd never done that before. Um, but, you know, luckily I went to school for talking and I have a pretty good memory. So it wasn't really hard for me to like remember my picks in between stuff or like be able to visualize what I had taken already or like remember, okay, they're like, these are the three cards I'm looking for and like when they wheel or don't wheel, whatever. So let me ask you this. When you're sitting down to that first draft pod and you're seven and two, I was thinking for you like, holy cow, Ethan could like top eight and make the PT. Was that in your head at all? Yeah, of course. I, I kept having to tell myself, even after I'd like six two, I was like, okay, like well, this could like now it's feeling like something could happen. Like, but I just kept having to remind myself one game at a time, one game at a time. Right. Yeah. It was very easy for me to like get ahead of myself in my head, and I just had to remind myself not to do that. So I sit down, uh, pack one, pick one, precognitive perception, great. Pack two, out of a pretty weak pack, I took a gateway sneak. And then pack three, I have the option of Mortify or Dovin's Acuity. And I thought to myself, I have to do what is on brand. I don't even know if Mortify is the correct pick there. When I have two blue cards, like maybe pack one, pick one, Mortify is correct. I just think Dovin's Acuity is so strong. And I felt like, look, it's getting past me. Pick three. Two people to my right have said they're not interested in this kind of deck. So let's try and draft it. Like, I know how to draft this. I know how to pilot this deck. I know how to build it. Like, let's see if we can do it. Yeah, I think that's the pick. Yeah, I think so. And pack one worked out pretty well for that deck. I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And then packs two and pack three were like kind of dry-ish. Um, I only ended up with five instants for the acuity. Um, I had two Code of Constraint, two Sphinx's Insight, and the Precog Perception. I had a couple counter spells as well, but like didn't really end up with like the goods. No summary judgments really felt like it hurt. Um, I had the Sphinx of Foresight as well. And I, I what I was really proud of myself for doing was like, nailing when I was going to wheel the clear the mines. I was like, all right, like my pack three, pick one. I took thought collapse, pick one. And I was like, this clear the mines coming back. I know it's going to come back. And I needed it to, cause I hadn't seen a second one and I got there. So I was really happy with my draft deck, like a, a couple summary judgments short of like what I thought was a, a really strong Dovin's acuity deck. Yeah. I was, I was thrilled when you texted me the picture of your draft deck. Yeah. Uh, so it was great. So, uh, game one of round one, I face off against an Orzov deck, and I'm not hitting my land drops, but I am, like, doing fine. 
I'm, I find myself at the end of turn with nine cards in my hand and both clear the mines. And so I'm like, well, I, I don't need both of these. So I discard a clear the mine and some other card. And I think it was two turns later, my opponent goes drill bit. Ooh. At which point my heart sunk. I was like, oh, I have just lost this game for myself. So they're looking at my hand and I don't know if they were like toying with me or whatever, but they're like looking at Sphinx's insight and clear the mind and like which one they're going to choose for me to discard. And then they, they choose the second clear the mind. At which point I turn around and I look at the match clock and I'm like, there's 40 minutes left. Like this deck is not going to win fast. I cannot win this game at all. So I need to concede. But I felt like I shouldn't concede immediately because I didn't want them to like know that that was the only way I could win. So I played a couple more turns like pretty quickly. And then I was like, all right, we're good and scooped him up. Wow. But luckily, the deck came through, and I won games two and games three. So then, uh, move on to round two against a Gruel opponent. Uh, won both games pretty handily. Uh, you know, uh, that in match one, I didn't really get to go off. In match two, I was, like, looping the clear of the mines and doing it. Uh, and, and, like, sort of, during, I was playing pretty fast, because I really knew that, like, my deck was super slow, you know? Unless my opponent was going to concede in good faith, if they really made me deck them, it was going to take a while. Right. So... You know, we're in the middle of game two or towards the end of game two, and we have like 19 minutes left on the clock. And I was like, I was like, just want you to know, 19 minutes on the clock, my deck cannot win quickly. Like, just if you can play a little faster, that would be great. And he was like, I don't think it's going to take 19 minutes. And he uh, conceded a couple turns later. So I'm feeling real good. We're moving into the finals of the draft. We're nine and two. And this is about the time where I'm like, well, this feels like a trophy deck. And then like, I don't know, I could trophy, I could 3-0 again. And that's where like, you know, I'm still like getting ahead of myself. And I face a really good uh, Orzov deck in round three. And I unfortunately punt away this first game, which is a, a mistake. You know, I'm I'm playing really fast again. We're, we're at this insane board stall. My opponent's like, keeps casting stuff and I'm like resolves 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 because I feel like I have the board sort of taken care of got a couple slime binds in my hand got a counter spell and they're they're finally you know they pass the turn a bunch and then they finally stop and like line up a bunch of attacks like feel like you know they're not entering their attacks but they're like you know placing creatures in front of my blockers and whatever and then they go to cast law mages binding on my sphinx and I have four mana open and I cast thought collapse to counter it and this is the time where I, what I should have done was realized if that Thought Collapse was better than me holding up two Slime Binds. And in fact, it was the critical decision that had my opponent uh, be able to attack for lethal. So if I had let the Law Mage's Binding resolve and they swing out with everything, then I can Slime Bind two attackers and block a bunch of other stuff. Untap, I think I'd be at like two life, but then I have Acuity in play. I have Sphinxes in sight. I'm like close to, I'm, I'm like only have a few cards left in my library. I'm like basically stacking my deck at this point. So that was a bummer. And, and that game had already eaten up like 20 minutes of the clock. So I'm feeling a lot of pressure in game two to play fast. And I am playing at like a breakneck pace in game two. Uh, and in good faith, he does concede with about 15 minutes left on the clock. You know, just like knowing that he's not going to win this game. And I think he only had like four cards left in his library anyway. So we've got like 15 minutes left to uh, to finish out game three. In game three, I mulligan to six and then just don't have the pieces to outrace his pretty fast start on the play i think he was like two drop three drop two drop two drop something like that um and it was tough for me to recover from that so unfortunately we end the draft nine and three yeah brutal end to you know top eight hopes but still cash to play for still still pro points to play for right yeah for sure uh and so we sit down for the next draft and 
I don't know when I was supposed to know that Gruel was open, but I think it wasn't until pack two when I just like wasn't ready to jump ship from what I had started building, which was another Azorius deck. You know, I first pick a Chillbringer out of a pack with a bunch of Orzov cards, and I just sort of felt like, all right, well, I'll take this blue card and I can be blue, white, or blue, green, and I'll let the other people at the table fight over like this Grasping Thrall and this Final Payment and this Plague White and this Juggler or whatever else was in that pack. But, you know, a Savage Smash went, like, fourth to last pick in pack two. Whoa. And I was like, I was just like, oh, no. I like, At that point, I was like, this is way too late. And I don't know when I was supposed to move into this deck, but this is clearly being underdrafted at this table. And then in pack three, I fortunately get bailed out by a fifth pick high alert, which I had sort of been building towards and not getting there. Um, but I did get there, but my deck was pretty weak, you know, it just like didn't quite have the goods. It looked more like a sealed deck than, uh, than it did a draft deck. Um, and I wasn't hopeful for it. And there aren't really any good stories about the deck. I lost round one in three games. I won round two, uh, off the back of Archway Angels and just a, a bunch of flyers. And then I know that I'm able to draw into cash with my last opponent if they agree to do so. And they did not. And they won the match. And I did not end up cashing the tournament, but I did end up 10 and 5 for my, my patented 67% win rate. So it was a kind of a bummer end to a pretty exciting run, because um, I think I could have made money. But, you know, it's not even that much money. But uh, it would have been nice to say that I had cashed a GP. But I still feel pretty proud of my run there. Yeah, super sweet run, and it was awesome following you all weekend. So I'm going to show my GP ignorance here. Is 10-5 get you a pro point? I think I don't know if pro points exist anymore. Well, they do for like some amount of time, right? But they're probably largely irrelevant for somebody like you. But still be right. sweet to say you've got a pro point. Sure. So I might have a pro point. I'm not sure. And I just want to make one other note about uh, the GP experience. So in addition to just like, you know, the roller coaster of emotions and focus and stuff, and I wish you had been there for this, I had so many people come up to me and say they like the stream, say they like really like the podcast. I had someone say that they wouldn't have been at that event if we hadn't done our sealed prep episode the week before. And they were like 4-1 at the time. I know they day two'd because I saw them that day. That was really awesome. Just I signed a bunch of stuff. I signed a Sailor of Means, a deck box, a Dovin's Acuity. Like it was really a cool experience to like be in touch with so many people who appreciate the content that we make. Yeah, that's really cool. I'm sorry I missed out on that as well. Yeah, it was very, very sweet. So that's my story. Uh, it was uh, yeah, a wild, wild ride, and I'm really happy that I day two'd. Yeah, I was, I was extraordinarily happy for you as well. Thanks, man. All right, so speaking of day two, let's dive in to these Mythic Championship day two drafts. Yeah, so we're going to start off here with Yoshihiko Ikawa. Unfortunately, they did not do the draft viewer like they normally do. So our last uh, PT Mythic Championship review, we were able to take a, a really deep look at the entire pod, um, but they did not do that this Mythic Championship for some reason. But they still did do their round the table segment where they went three picks deep on everyone at the table. So we're going to dive deeper on Reed Duke and Michael Bonda. They were the two featured drafters of the pod. We're going to go a little deeper on their drafts. And we're going to go three picks deep on everyone else and then kind of give you a picture of what the table looked like, what their decks looked like, what their record was, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to kick things off with Yoshihiko Ikawa here. And his pack one pick one was a choice between Depose Deploy Clamor Shaman, Imperious Oligarch, Get the Point, and Priest of Forgotten Gods. What are you thinking about there? Uh, this is a pretty easy Depose deploy for me. I think Azorius is the best guild at this point, and I love how flexible that card is. It's also like super easy to play in Orzov and like put an Azorius Guildgate in your deck to like 
Mize being able to cast the 1-1s. One I just really like that card. I am also on Depose Deploy Pack 1 Pick 1 here. How close is Priest of Forgotten Gods with it for you? Not that close. I, I like Priest in theory, and I have been impressed by it on the battlefield. I just feel like it takes a little too much work. Like, if you don't get there on the afterlife creatures, it really doesn't do a lot. And if you play against afterlife, it doesn't do a lot. Yeah, and Clamor Shame is a powerful card, though, and I think uh, that's what Yoshihiko took, and I think maybe showing a preference for wanting to be Rakdos or Gruul and maybe wanting to beat down. Maybe he thinks that people are undervaluing that strategy. So I think certainly a reasonable pick there as well. Moving on to pack one, pick two, you see the following cards as options. There's a Savage Smash, a Sunder Shaman, a Gate Colossus, an Ill-Gotten Inheritance, and a Get the Point. Pretty sad follow-up to Depose Deploy if that's what I'm on. I would just take Gate Colossus in that sense. Uh, if I'm Yoshihiko and I have a Clamor Shaman, then I'm it's tough between Sunder Shaman and Savage Smash, but I just feel like Savage Smash is the most important piece of the puzzle for Gruul deck, so I think I would grab that there. Yeah, it's tough shipping a Sunder Shaman because you're probably going to put somebody else into Gruul, but Savage Smash realistically should also put somebody into Gruul. That's a super close pick. I think I would also take Savage Smash in the moment. If you've got Depose Deploy, what are you following it up with here? Gate Colossus pretty easily, which like I think is the best card in the pack, right? Yeah, I think so too. And then moving on to... so. So Yoshihiko took the Sunder Shaman there to follow up his Clamor Shaman and is maybe looking to draft Gruul. And pack one, pick three, had a choice between Savage Smash and Get the Point and landed on Savage Smash there pretty easily after starting solidly in Gruul and did go on to draft like a very good looking Gruul deck, was maybe a little bit light on two drops and only had one Savage Smash in the entire list. So didn't see any more at the table after that first pick Savage Smash there in pack three or pick three. And had a super solid Gruul deck, had three Clamor Shamans, made it very difficult, I assume, for his opponents to block, and ended up with a 2-1 record. Clamor Shaman is a really, really good card. I've been very impressed by that. Yep. Most often, I think you're playing it as a 2-2 in my experience, but it, it has been impressive. Unless you're just playing it to win. It's like also just a falter, right? Yes. Um, so I haven't had a chance to look through all of these drafts that Ben put together. He was gracious enough to compile the show notes this week while I was battling in the GP. And so my guess if he didn't see other Savage Smashes, is that either someone started off Gruul and moved into something else, someone's in like a red-green gate deck, or someone's like Simic splashing red. Like that doesn't, it doesn't check out that he's like the only red-green drafter if he's like light on two drops and only one Savage Smash. Yeah, but was a was a very good looking deck, like uh, a 3-0 capable deck, I think, certainly. Sure. All right, that's going to move us on to Reed Duke here, who was one of the featured drafters. So we do have uh, the ability to check out uh, some more picks from him than just the first three. Back on pick one, he's got the choice between a few doozies here. He's got a Fairy Duelist, Syndicate Messenger, Simic Guildmage, Mortify, and his rare is Sphinx of Foresight. Yeah, so I think really you're narrowing that down to Sphinx of Foresight versus Mortify, and I think Sphinx is just a windmill slam bomb, and Reed agreed and jammed that into his pile. 100%. It's a really hard card to play in paper, I will say. Like, I just don't, you just have to be like, up, 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 before you do anything, <laughs> and it's not my turn, I have to tell you something. <laughs> like, it's very, very bizarre. So yeah, I would be on Sphinx there for sure. Pack on pick two, he's choosing between Imperious Oligarch, Get the Point, The Prying Eyes, Cavalcade of Calamity, Priest of Forgotten Gods, and a Depose Deploy. Yeah, again, I think pretty quickly, probably narrowing this down to Depose Deploy or Priest of Forgotten Gods after taking Sphinx of Insight, although Priest doesn't even really line up very well with Sphinx of Insight. No. Honestly, if you're if you're hoping to play Sphinx of Insight or Sphinx of Foresight, 
Depose Deploy is the only card that really lines up well and is probably also just the best card in the pack. And yeah. so I would be slamming that there and redid as well. So then he's going to grab the, the pack that we saw from uh, Yoshihiko, which has the Gate Colossus, uh, an Ill-Gotten Inheritance, an Arrestor's Admonition, an Oligarch, a Get the Point, and a Savage Smash. Yeah, worth noting that we're going around the table here, so you're going to see a lot of the same cards and picks getting passed. So Yoshihiko was passing to Reed Duke. So again, you know, if he's wanting to play Azorius or Blue, you know, the only real choices here to line up with his first two picks are Arrestor's Admonition and the Gate Colossus. I would really be tempted by Gate Colossus here, and I think that's what I would end up on, but that's not what Reed took. Yeah, he grabbed the Arrestor's Admonition here, so I wonder if there's one of two factors here. One is Reed 3-0'd the first day, and I had the privilege of watching him draft part of this deck. He 3-0'd with an Azorius deck that was just, just pure blue-white control. So it feels like maybe he's trying to, to re-rack that again. And also I wonder if it felt like Gates were overdrafted day one to him. You know, I don't know if that was the case, but maybe he felt like people were just valuing Gates highly enough that getting a Gate deck consistently with Gate Colossus uh, was going to be maybe more difficult. Right. So, I mean, Arrestor's Admonition is 100% going to make your deck and it's going to be a good card in your deck. Gate Colossus is higher ceiling, but a little more speculative. Yeah. And it's just like you get to continue to stay on the blue train. You're not really passing a blue signal at this point at all, which is pretty strong. I'm fine with the Admonition pick here. Yeah. That's also another consideration that you're literally passing no blue cards. Right. Pack on pick four. Uh, he's got a bunch of cards here. Uh, Viscopa Vampire. There's a Slime Bind. Another Get the Point. A Sphinx of the Guild Pact. A Windstorm Drake. And an Imperious Oligarch. What do you like here? Yeah, I think the best card in the pack is probably Get the Point. Although that card's not like super important to me in Rakdos. You know, maybe want one, two at the top of the curve of your Rakdos deck, but it's not like a card that really pulls me super hard into Rakdos. And I think, you know, if you're looking blue cards for Reed, there's Windstorm Drake or Slimebind. And I think Windstorm Drake is just strictly worse than Chillbringer. So I, I think I'm on Slimebind here. Yeah, you know, it's it's kind of tough. With Depose Deploy already, I think I would be on Windstorm Drake here. He doesn't have a five drop yet. Like, yeah, it's worse than Chillbringer, but it's really good with 1-1 one, one tokens. I think Slimebind, you can get them later and is a little bit more replaceable when you've got like access to Law Mage's Binding if you're Azorius. I think I would have taken the Windstorm Drake here. That's fair enough. Reed settled on Slimebind. Um, pack one, pick five. He sees some pretty good blue cards late. He's got an Aramunculus and a Terramander as well as a Thought Collapse as options. Probably the other best non-blue card in the pack is either Plague White or Ill-Gotten Inheritance. Yeah, and this is, I think, the first really super interesting pick of the draft because there's a, a pretty clear choice between Terramander as just another blue card or Aramunculus as like more of a Simic signal. But I think Terramander is just a better card than Aramunculus. So it, the upside is you get to stay mono blue. You could still be Azorius or Simic, and you're getting to pick a better card than the Aramunculus. It's going to be a little bit of a bummer if you end up drafting Simic and pass that Aramunculus kind of late to your neighbor. But ultimately, I think Terramander is just the best card in this pack and is in the color that Rhea is mono colored in. So it still has the option to go Azorius or Simic at this point. So I would be slamming Terramander here. Yeah, I think uh, this is a pretty big gift not in the sense of like maybe gift is the wrong word i think this is a pretty big signal that like blue is where he should be and he'll figure out the rest later but i think a pick five terramander with the aramunculus also in the pack should make him feel pretty good at this point next up he's got a choice between a bunch of bant cards there's a biogenic upgrade an impassioned orator a humungulus a mammoth spider what do you like out of that bunch i think this is tough right because he's 
essentially mono blue with the depose deploy, which leans me a little bit towards Azorius, not a ton. Uh, still definitely splashable in a Simic deck. Mm-hmm. But Biogenic Upgrade's probably the most powerful card in the pack. But I I don't love that card, even in Simic. It's powerful, but it often doesn't make my deck. And when like it's just it's just kind of a clunky finisher. It is powerful when it works, but it doesn't work a fair amount of the time in my experience. Yeah, we've had a, a few discussions in the Lords Limited Discord about this card, and I'm also in the same camp as you, Ben, about not feeling super excited about this card. And yes, of course, it can be very powerful, but it, this is the kind of card, you know, like any sort of overrun variant or effect like that, where you don't know when it's just stuck in your opponent's hand or when they can't afford to cast it or they don't have the board to cast it. You only see it when they feel like it's going to do its thing, you know? So like it's hard to judge this card in all of its situations because you're often only seeing it if you're not casting it, you're often only seeing it when it's doing work. Right. So I think I would be on the impassioned order here, but I do think, you know, Reed ended up taking the biogenic upgrade. I do think there's some consideration to that because the last pack had Terramander and Aramunculus in it. Maybe that's a stronger Simic signal and Reed's thinking Simic's open. And if you're thinking Simic's open, you know, taking the biogenic upgrade makes sense. I just don't feel like there's a super clear signal yet. And I think Impassioned Order is enough of a better card than biogenic upgrade to me. Like, you know, Reed has no two drops really other than Slimebind at this point. I think Mm -hmm. I would just be on Impassioned Order here. Yeah, I I agree. Sure. But I I can't fault him for taking the upgrade there. I think that's totally fine. Right. Yeah. And I think it's mostly whether you think you want to steer towards Simic or steer towards Azorius. And I think I would have preferred to steer towards Azorius a little bit. I agree. Pack on pick seven. He gets a choice between two blue cards that I think we're both fine main decking Windstorm Drake and Sage's Savant. I'm fine main decking both of these cards. Again, I'm not super excited about the Windstorm Drake, but, you know, If I had taken the Impassioned Order for myself, I'd have been on Windstorm Drake here, I think, as is, you know, with Reed's lack of early drops. I think I like Sage's Rosavant, but Windstorm Drake is a much more powerful card. Yeah, I think even if I had picked up the first one, I'd be more excited about the second one. Um, But yeah, he he picked that up here. I think Sage's Rosavant is good. It's gone up in my uh, pick order. I was pretty down on it at the start of the format as like, "Eh, it's a whatever card. It's really, really good in sealed, and I think it's still pretty strong in draft. Pack one, pick eight. Doesn't really get any good blue or white cards here. He's got some green options with like a Wrecking Beast, Miley Cyrus, or a Simic Locket. There's a Humungulus, which isn't great. Um, and he's got Cinder Vines and Light Up the Stage is probably, I mean, I guess Light Up the Stage is probably the best card in the pack. And then there's Cinder Vines as the, the red-green rare naturalize effect. Yeah, really nothing here. Uh, Wrecking Beast, you can play in Simic. Regis ended up hating a Cinder Vines. I think I might have taken Light Up the Stage as the best card in the pack, in my opinion. I don't think this is a hate draft. My, I think this is a pretty smart like hedge. If he's blue-green and he doesn't see like Exposed to Daylight, this can be his naturalize that he can splash. Right, in case he runs into Ethereal Absolution or something like that. Exactly, yeah. And then uh, if you look at pack one, pick nine, check out this wheel. He wheels Applied Biomancy, Azorius Locket, and Fairy Duelist. Right, and this is another interesting decision here. Has the choice between taking the Simic card or taking the Fairy Duelist and sort of postponing committing to a guild. And I agree with his decision to take Fairy Duelist here over Applied Biomancy. I think Fairy Duelist is a really premium two drop in the blue decks and just does a lot of work. And again, like just delaying the choice between whether he wants to be Simic or Azorius. And we sort of are going to see that throughout the rest of the draft. So as pack one winds out, you know, he takes some green cards that are playable and it looks like he's thinking, okay, maybe I'll be Simic, but really still has, you know, the option to go Azorius if he wants, because all of his good cards are just 
blue. And, you know, he didn't really see many Azorius gold cards. He saw the one Aramunculus, pack one, pick five, but nothing like that screamed, you need to be Simic. And moving into pack two, pick one, he opened a Frilled Mystic, took it. Pack two, pick two, got grabbed a Gyre Engineer. Looked like, okay, we're settling into Simic. And then pack two, pick three, took Law Mage's Binding. And, you know, that was the first real good Azorius gold card he'd seen. Followed that up with a couple slime binds. And I think Reed just did a fantastic job of towing the line between Azorius and Simic and got super rewarded for it here at the end of the draft. Pack two, pick six, got past a Sphinx of Nuprov. Pack two, pick seven, got past another Sphinx of Nuprov. And by that point, it was like, okay, we're Azorius and started drafting Azorius and then got hooked up a little bit in pack three. And even in pack three, he was still towing the line, grabbed a pack three, pick five, frilled mystic, pack three, pick six, got a Sphinx of Nuprov that finally pushed him over the edge into Azorius. And I think this was just a super well navigated draft. If you want to see an example of towing the line between two guilds and navigating it well and finding your lane. Yeah, for sure. I, I want to just go back and a- ask you a little bit. So even if you know your Simic, do you want Fairy Duelist number one or Applied Biomancy number one? Mm, if I was 100% Simic, I think I would want Applied Biomancy number one. But I don't think Reed was 100% Simic. No, he wasn't. I, I was just, I think I want Fairy Duelist number one, even if I know I'm 100% Simic. I think that's just Ooh, interesting. a rock solid card. It is a good card for sure. Anyway, yeah, I, this draft is just A plus for figuring out your lane, being flexible, you know, just bobbing and weaving, but not even really bobbing and weaving, just like towing the line and, and figuring out what he's supposed to do. And it's just really fantastic. And is rewarded handsomely with three owing. Yeah, for sure. Three owed both days with an Azorius deck. Good job, Reed. So that moves us around the table. Reed Duke is passing to Autumn Burchett, and they actually ended up, spoiler alert, winning the Mythic Championship. So huge congratulations to Autumn. Pack one, pick one. They sat down and saw the following cards as options. Really weak pack. Light up the stage. Essence Capture. A Gruul Guildgate. Gateway Plaza. Bullrat Clan Crusher. And Applied Biomancy. Um, I'm on light up the stage here, even though it's much better in Rakdos than Gruul. I just think it's the best card in the pack here. Essence Capture is good, but I'm not sure how much better or even if it's better than Thought Collapse, which you can get copies of. Um, I'm, I'm pretty high on light up the stage these days. Yeah, I think it's a toss up between light up the stage and essence capture, just depending on what route you want to go down. I would much rather be blue than red. So I think I would be on essence capture here myself. But I think that 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 choice is pretty close. They had an interview uh, for I think it might have been their day two draft. I'm not sure where uh, they said that they really preferred blue cards in this format. So this might be even if they think light up the stage is better than essence capture might be a a nod to their preference in this draft format. Absolutely. Moving on to pack one pick two had a choice between Orzhov Guildgate, Fairy Duelist, Combine Guild Mage, Applied Biomancy and far and away the best card in the pack Mortify. And Autumn slammed that there. And I think correctly being flexible in the draft and moving off their first pick. And then moving on to pack one, pick three, they had a choice between Get the Point, Imperious Oligarch, and Priest of Forgotten Gods. I think I wouldn't have the the Cajones to do this at the PT. Uh, I think I would just take Imperious Oligarch to follow up the Mortify. I am pretty happy that Autumn decided to take Priest of Forgotten Gods here. Yeah, I think it's by far the highest upside pick. And I think, you know, if you're planning on being Orzov. If you're in a good Orzhov deck, Priest of Forgotten Gods should be great in your deck, right? It should be, but you can have good Orzhov decks that don't get there with Afterlife. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's just why I'm a little shy of that card. Right, maybe a higher risk, higher reward pick. 
Yeah, I think so. But that's awesome. I like that. I think that's that's good. I mean, they're at the point at the start of day two where like they can really top eight. And obviously they did and then won. So I, I like the high upside pick here. I think that's really nice. Yeah. And then, you know, we got to see a little bit more because of that interview. So the next few picks went two times Imperious Oligarch and Ill-Gotten Inheritance, which Ooh. put Autumn super solidly into Orzov. But unfortunately, like there were just a lot of people we'll see a little bit jockeying for position in Orzov and their deck ended up, you know, good, but not great, I think, because uh, they were competing with two other Orzov drafters. So uh, Autumn ended up losing in the finals of the draft to 2-1 to read. Moving on, we've got Michael Bonda, and this is another draft we're going to be able to go a little deeper on. Pack one, pick one. He sees a Gates of Blaze, a Dovin's Acuity, a Chillbringer, and a Dovin Grand Arbiter, which I would imagine is everyone's Windmill Slam pick there. Yeah, it's a super stacked pack. Uh, I don't think it's super close. I think you're just taking Dovin. So I think a thing to keep in mind here is you're passing Chillbringer, and I would assume at the Pro Tour people know how to draft the Acuity deck on day two. Um, maybe that assumption is incorrect, but that would be my assumption. So you're passing two really strong blue cards, so I would be very like wary of like deciding to force Azorius and be very ready to like be like, maybe I could be blue-green splashing Dovin or white-black splashing Dovin, that sort of thing. But I'd definitely try and play Dovin if I could. Pack on pick two, he sees uh, Gateway Plaza, Cinder Vines, Bullrack Clan Crusher, Light Up the Stage, and Applied Biomancy. Yeah, this is a super weak pack. Uh, I think I would be on Light Up the Stage as what I consider the best card in the pack. But, you know, a lot of different options. You could take Gateway Plaza if you wanted to be conservative. What did Michael end up on? Applied Biomancy. I don't I don't like this passing of light up the stage here. I think this is way too early to take Applied Biomancy. That's kind of what I'm thinking. And, you know, maybe, maybe Michael's thinking, you know, I really want to play this Dovin. I should take, you know, a card that can go along with it. But Dovin's not like quite powerful enough that I'm just like gonna try to force it and play blue white or definitely play it. I, I would be willing to move off that first pick. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of like what the power level of a card would be that I would be like, yeah, I'll take a hidden power to pass this light up the stage. Yeah, I, I just don't know what, what it would be like. I, I think you should be just taking the most powerful cards in the pack. If there were if there were a slime bind, I think I would take slime bind here. It's that's that's so early. <laughs> <laughs> You're just going to get slime binds if blue is open. You're not going to get light up the stage if red is open. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Pack one pick three. He moves on and sees another biomancy, a fairy duelist, uh, Orzov Guildgate and Syndicate Messenger if he wants to move elsewhere and a combine guild mage. Yeah, this is another not super exciting pack. I think I would be on Fairy Duelist here. I've not been crazy impressed with Combine Guild Mage unless it's in a deck with Shark to Crab or some other creature that cares about getting plus one plus one counters put on it. So yeah, I think I would I think I would be on Fairy Duelist and then that, you know, that leaves me open. That lines up with either my applied biomancy or can let me pivot back towards Azorius to play my Dovin Grand Arbiter. Yeah. I think that uh, you know, we know that uh Michael is like a few seats away from Reed Duke. So I imagine that this Azorius or this blue is going to dry up pretty fast for him. So he grabbed the Combine Guild Mage, moved on to pack one, pick four, where he sees uh, Get the Point and an Imperious Oligarch. Yeah, this is another, you know, not great pack. Prying Eyes was the best blue card in the pack. I think, you know, certainly if you've taken Light Up the Stage, Get the Point looks a lot more appealing. Without Light Up the Stage in my pile, I I think I would be on. So if my if I'm following Michael's picks and I've gone Dovin into Applied Biomancy into Combine Guild Mage, I think I would be on Imperious Oligarch here over Get the Point. Right. So I think that is a nod to how we value two drops and how much more important Oligarch is to the Orzov deck than Get the Point is to the Rakdos deck. But I think that totally changes if you like you and I would have 
if pack one pick two, I think if you take light up the stage, I think it I think get the points looking a lot more enticing there. Right. I mean, because I think light up the stage is a very powerful card. So like, I don't think of it the same way I think of Dovin, but I'm still like, I'd like to play this light up the stage if I can. And get the point seems good to me. Like, I think get the point and oligarch are similar power levels. Like, they're probably both C pluses. Like, maybe oligarch is like really, really good and, and moves into B minus range. But like, they're both good cards. Right. So uh, I think that taking the get the point there if you have light up is totally reasonable. Uh, so he grabs the Imperious Oligarch. So he's a, he's a bit all over the place. He's got a couple Simic cards. He's got the Dovin. He's got the Oligarch now. So, you know, he's, he's bobbing and weaving a little bit. Pack on pick five, get the point. Iggy, ill-gotten inheritance. And Gate Colossus is still here. Yeah, that's crazy to me that Gate Colossus is still there that late. Although that pack was pretty stacked. Yeah, I guess so. That's That feels like a signal to me. Yeah, I think with the way my draft is going right now, if I'm Michael, I'm thrilled to see a colorless card here that's very powerful. And I definitely would have snatched up Gate Colossus at this point. And he's got, you know, three of his four picks so far are Bant. And Bant is a great home for the Gate deck. So, like, I'd be pretty happy with grabbing Gate Colossus here. I feel like it gets me back on track to, like, ooh, maybe I can play Dovin. I can be a base green Gate deck. Right. He ends up grabbing Ill-Gotten Inheritance here. Yeah, I think that's defensible after taking Imperious Oligarch. I just think your draft is enough spread out that you really gain a lot of power by taking something like Gate Colossus that if you invest some picks in Gates, which you're probably going to need to do anyway, you know, because it looks like you're probably going to be splashing something based on your first few picks, that you're you're incentivized to already take those Gates anyway. So Gate Colossus feels like a, a pretty good pick up there. Yeah. So he moves on to pack one pick six where he sees a get the point of his Copa Vampire and Undercity's Embrace and then three uncommon still Sphinx of the Guild Pact, Cry of the Carnarium, and Windstorm Drake. Yeah, this is a super late get the point at this point, and the third one that he's seen in a row. So I yeah. think at that point, like you can be fairly confident that nobody's really drafting Rakdos that hard ahead of you. I don't think if you're getting three get the points in a row. I think I would be taking a flyer on get the point here. Maybe you take Windstorm Drake to go along with your Dovin, or you take another colorless card in Sphinx. But I just think get the point's the best card in the pack. And certainly, again, you know, if you'd stayed flexible and taken the best card out of pack one, pick two as light up the stage, I think you're a lot more willing or it's a lot easier to take get the point here. Yeah, I mean, as we're going to see, it looks like this table really doesn't value light up the stage as a magic card or just didn't want to be Rakdos. I'm, I'm not sure which one, but yeah, uh, Michael really throws me for a loop here in grabbing Undercity's Embrace, which I think of as strictly a sideboard card. And even at that, a card that I rarely, rarely find bringing in after game one. Yep, would agree. So then, you know, it does feel like Rakdos is definitely what he was supposed to do after we saw the, the three get the points in a row. We saw the light of the stage pick two. He takes an Aramunculus over a Plague White next. Which I think was kind of unfortunate that that Aramunculus made it to him that late. Because I think that derailed the draft even further because Simic wasn't really that open. Like, I think his seat ultimately really wanted to be Rakdos. Yeah, I agree. So then pack one, pick eight, uh, saw a pack with Consigned to the Pit, Burning Tree Vandal. And again, if you'd picked up on these Rakdos signals, Burning Tree Vandal is a great pickup. Pack one, pick eight. Uh, Michael ended up taking Consigned to the Pit, following it up with a Rakdos Guild Gate, Light Up the Stage, ended up wheeling Pack 1, Pick 10, which is just crazy to me. That's a super powerful card to go all the way around the table. And we ended up seeing that no one was in Rakdos, and there were a lot of good Rakdos cards flying around, especially in Pack 2. Michael opened up a pack with Rick's Mighty Reveler, Hacker Bat, Cult Guild Mage. None of those he was able to pick because of the way his draft had gone. Hackerbat ended up wheeling in Pack 2. So definitely, I think someone at this table should have been the Rakdos drafter. And I think Michael had a good shot at it if he had taken light up the stage 
pack one, pick two, and maybe snapped up one of those get get the points that he saw early on in pack one. Yeah, for sure. So Michael had a pretty rough pack three, ended up Orzov base splashing a little bit of blue. And he and he actually ended up going two one, but I think you know, looking at his deck, I would have assumed, you know, maybe 2-1, one, 1-2, one, and it looks like he came out on the favorable side of that at 2-1. Yeah. Where do we go to next? Next, we go to Han Yi. Uh, pack one, pick one. Sat down and saw the choice between Azorius Guildgate, Law Mage's Binding, Clan Guild Mage, Tome of the Guild Pact, and Ill-Gotten Inheritance. I guess it depends how high my spice level is feeling, but I, I really like Tome of the Guild Pact, and I really like building around it. We were talking about this before the show, and I think you feel differently. I like to have that early, and and feels like that's a payoff for going some sort of like, you know, it slots really well into a gate deck. It's a nice payoff, even if you are a multicolor deck without a lot of gate payoffs. I think it's a, a strong card, and I, I like drafting those style of decks if i'm not taking that there i think law mage's binding is the best card in the pack yeah tome's actually fourth for me here out of this pack i think i'm on any of ill-gotten inheritance binding or clan guild mage depending on what i want to do or what guild i want to try to slot myself in and i think just raw power level i think i would be on law mage's binding here i'm really i've been a little underwhelmed with tome of the guild pact and i think i want to be in a deck that has a fair amount of multicolored cards before i go about picking it up yeah and you just gotta cast growth spirals with tome of the guild pact man two mana divination so good yeah but you've spent your turn five doing nothing and then you've held your growth spiral until later in the game turn five is one of the best turns to do nothing your opponent (laughs) never sees it coming yeah they're like oh no grasping thrall oh no chillbringer and you go mana rock gotcha there (laughs) <laughs> so Han ends up taking ill-gotten inheritance which I think is certainly defensible pack one pick one out of that pack you know you're hoping to be aggressive Orzov you're hoping to be aggressive Rakdos that is a powerful card in the right deck moving on to pack one pick two super stack pack here choice of summary judgment Rakdos Guildgate Dovin's Acuity Chillbringer or Gates Ablaze I mean you know what I'm taking out of this pack you're slamming Gates. Oh, no, you're slamming Dovin's Acuity. <laughs> yeah, I'm slamming Dovin's Acuity. I mean, Gates of Blaze is really powerful, but Tome of the Guild packed into Dovin's Acuity. I'm just I'm I see the 3-0 trophy in my uh, in my future. Yeah, Han was a little more all business and took Chillbringer here. And I think, you know, is probably not planning on those two cards in the same deck, but certainly two very good monocolored cards, leaving him very flexible with a lot of options pack one pick three this is where it went off the rails a little bit choice between gateway plaza gruel Guildgate, gravel hide goblin light up the stage bullrack clan crusher or debtors transport i mean again we liked it pick two i'm gonna like it pick three why is light up the stage being passed here especially with an ill-gotten inheritance in your pile right i think it's probably the best card in the pack if you're gonna be in red it'll be certainly be a more impactful card than gravel hide goblin uh, that that picks a little strange to me. I think that's one of the weaker cards in the pack. But maybe you know, maybe you're just worried about two drops at the PT. Who, who knows? I don't even like Gravelhide Goblin in a Gruel deck. Uh, I think it's a fine two drop in a Gruel deck. You're not unhappy to play that card. I think the one toughness is a real knock against it when you're trying to Savage Smash three power creatures. But you'd rather play Gravelhide Goblin than something like Feral Maka, say, right? Right, but I am not happy with either of those. <laughs> right. But I mean, like, it's it's a card you're going to play as a two-drop in a Gruel deck. Sure, I guess so. But if you're planning to be Gruel, why aren't you taking Clan Crusher or Light up the stage? Right, yeah. Yeah, 
I think that's fair. Yeah, I don't know. This is that's confusing to me. Then opened Hydroid Crisis pack two pick one and ended up moving into Simic. Had a base Simic deck, a little bit of a double splash going on. A few red cards, including Gravelhide Goblin in the two drop slot, which was which was a little questionable. It's a bit of a yikes. Yeah, and then Captive Audience as sort of a double splash in the seven drop slot and ended up going two one. uh, I assume on the back of Hydroid Crisis and some good Simic cards. Yeah. Okay. We're going to move next around the table to Rob Pisano. Pack one, pick one, sees Consecrate Consume, Ill-Gotten Inheritance, Aramunculus, and Oh Baby, Akaya's Wrath. Yeah, so this was a super interesting pick. They were talking on coverage about does Kaya's Wrath go down in value because the deck lists are public. So is there a world where you take Consecrate Consume over Kaya's Wrath here? And I think that's interesting to consider. But, you know, just assuming you're not drafting at the featured table, Kaya's Wrath is a better card, I think. Right, but even... If you are, like, so would you rather play against someone who had Consecrate Consume in their deck or Kai's Wrath in their deck? I think I'd rather play against someone with Consecrate Consume. <laughs> of course. Like, right. I don't, like, my opponent, great. So you tell me at the beginning of the match, hey, I have a Wrath. That doesn't make me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm slamming Kai's Wrath here. Yep. Uh, Rob did as well. Pack one, pick two. Seeing the cards that we just saw. He's got Law Mage's Binding, Azorius Guildgate, Clan Guild Mage, and Tome of the Guild Pact. Yeah, not a great follow-up to Kaya's Wrath here. No clear Orzov direction. And you're probably hoping not to splash Law Mage's Binding in your Kaya's Wrath deck would be my guess. So I, I think I'm on Tome of the Guild Pact here. Yeah, I'm on it too, except I disagree that it's not a good follow-up to Kaya's Wrath. That's a great follow-up. It's going to smooth your mana for Kaya's Wrath and you're going to get to cantrip off it. Yeah. It's a good card oh with Kai's Wrath. I don't know what's going to make you excited about <laughs> turning your cards into draw a card. <laughs> All right, so he, Rob's on, on board with me here as well. He's grabbing Tome of the Guild Pact, and then pack one, pick three. Sees that Dovin's Acuity, that Gates Ablaze, Rakdos Guildgate, and a Summary Judgment. I think I would be slamming Dovin's Acuity here if oh I were God, Rob. Oh my God, I'm drooling right now thinking <laughs> of this, those first three cards as a start. Yeah, uh, Rob actually ended up settling on Summary Judgment, and then went rapidly downhill after this, I think, uh, had sort of the four color special is what they were calling it on coverage and ended up 0-3-ing with That's like such a, a, bummer. A, a pretty clunky looking deck. Yeah, I wonder what happened. I wish we could have seen uh, more of his decisions there. Moving on around the table to Petter Sahurik, uh, pack one, pick one, sat down and saw a pretty interesting first pick choice between Savage Smash, Ill-Gotten Inheritance, Imperious Oligarch, Get the Point, Rakdos Guildgate, and Tome of the Guild Pact. Lots of tomes flying around this table. So for me, I'm ranking these cards Tome number one, Savage Smash number two, and then I don't know between Oligarch and Get the Point what I would take number three, but I'd be on Tome first and then Smash second. I think for me, I'm on Smash one, Ill-Gotten Inheritance two, Imperious Oligarch three, Tome four. So when you take Ill-Gotten Inheritance first, which I don't think I've ever done. Have you done that? Yeah. So when you take it first, uh, you're obviously trying to build an aggro deck, either, as you've said, aggro Orzov or aggro Rakdos. Mm-hmm. And then you will you play infinite numbers of Iggy's if you get that kind of deck? Yes. Okay, cool. That's good yeah. to know. I would play like five in an aggressive Rakdos or Orzov Sweet. deck. So like taking Iggy here and trying to wheel Rakdos Guildgate seems like totally reasonable to me. Yeah, I think so. Um, which is what Petter did. And moving on to pack one, pick two, sees following cards as options, another ill-gotten inheritance, a burning tree vandal, aramunculus, and consecrate consume. Yeah, I mean, I guess you'd love to follow it up with a second Iggy, but consecrate consume is one of the best uncommons in the set. 
Yeah, I think you're just thrilled to snap that up there and then moving and Petter did moving on to pack one pick three choice between clan guild mage impassioned orator Azorius Guildgate, and law mages binding. Yeah, I mean, again, I think you just take the best card out of the pack, which is law mages binding by a significant margin and uh, sort of toes the line between you could maybe be some sort of Esper deck like you could play all three, though Iggy isn't really good in Esper control that much. Right, but I'm fine giving up my first pick ill-gotten inheritance to play a great Esper control deck. Oh, 100%. And then I wish we knew what happened here because uh, these first three picks look great. I think we're, we're sort of, other than pack one, pick one, where we sort of have different opinions here, but I, I like how he's navigated these first three picks uh, in a general sense. But he ended up with a not great looking deck at the end that 3 would unfortunately. Yeah, it was Orzov splash blue and really unfortunate after the start of the draft. I wish we could have seen what happened. Well, so we've got, he's on Orzov Splash Blue at the end, which can't have been great because if we look to his right of him at the table, we've got Rob Paisano drafting like Kaya's Wrath, Summary Judgment, maybe taking Orzov cards from him with his four-color special. Then we've got Han Yi taking like Iggy and Chillbringer before moving into Simic, so maybe he was taking some Esper cards as well in pack one. Michael Bonda, who ended up in Orzov, Autumn Burchett to the right of that, who ended up in Orzov. Like, and then, and then Reduke. Azorius, like a lot of people in a row drafting Esper colors. A lot of people to your right for you to to feel like you can get an Esper deck at the end of this, which it looked like was was tough for him to do. Uh, and the last one we're going to check in on here is Piotr Glogowski. Yeah, so pack one, pick one. There's another Tome of the Guild pact on this draft. That's three at this table? Is three that right? at this table. That's crazy. Tome of the Guild pact is the rare. Gate Colossus, Sunder Shaman at Uncommon, and Savage Smash, Iggy, and Arrestor's Admonition at Common. Yeah, this is a super tough first pick. I, if, if I were at the Mythic Championship, I would be really tempted to take Savage Smash here for some reason. I don't know why that appeals to what? me. I, I don't know why that appeals to me right now, but I, I, think, I think I would ultimately probably take Gate Colossus and try it like as... You know, maybe I'm the gates deck. Maybe I can splash this with three, four gates. Um, I think I would take Gate Colossus. Yeah, I think Gate Colossus is the the highest upside pick. And then I would follow that up with Tome. Piotr's feeling the spice. Grab Tome of the Guild Pact here. Pack one, pick one. And then pack one, pick two. If it's good enough to first pick, it's good enough to second pick. Tome of the Guild Pact coming on in. Number two over Savage Smash. Get the point. Imperius Oligarch and Rakdos Guildgate. Yeah. And then pack one, pick three, took an Azorius Guildgate and ended up moving into a base gruel five color gates deck with two Colossus, one Gates Ablaze and about 10 gates. Deck looked pretty powerful, but pretty clunky uh, and ended up one twoing. So if we take a look at everybody that was at the table, I think we had a lot of people sort of competing for cards with each other. So we had a gruel deck, a gruel gates deck. One Azorius deck that was Reduke, three people trying to be base Orzov, one base Simic splashing a couple colors, and one sort of four color special deck, <laughs> if, whatever you want to say. Uh, and yeah. no one, no one base Rakdos. That's the thing that really stands out to me is that you know I think at least one person at this table should have read some signals and been base Rakdos. Yeah, I mean the biggest takeaway for me is that it looked like light up the stage was really undervalued. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, maybe that was due to a lot of pros were talking about Rakdos being the worst guild coming in. But I, and I, I might be on that at this point, but it's still close, right? All of the guilds are super draftable. I would be thrilled to draft a Rakdos deck if you told me I was going to be the only person in my in my guild. I just can't get behind the fact that these people might think that Rakdos is underpowered if they're taking ill-gotten inheritance pack one, pick one. Like, where do you think that card is good? 
Right. Yeah. If you're taking it that highly, you've got to be willing to draft Rakdos. I think so. Un- unless they don't subscribe to the Ben Stark school of thought, which is that it's best in an aggro deck. Unless they just think it's like a way towards a deck in and of itself. Right. Yeah. Super interesting. I I, I love getting to like peer into how the pros uh, think about a format, especially when we're like four, five, six weeks deep. Yeah. And I think if you see that, you know, we didn't get to see super deep on everyone's draft, but I think Reed Duke drafted crazy well. And I think, you know, we got rewarded with a 3-0 for it. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, it, it helped that he got to take a busted blue rare at the start and then blue was open the next four picks. But, you know, I trust that he would have moved off of it if he had taken a busted red rare to start and then moved into blue. Like, I think he would have read those signals pretty well. Right. Sweet. All right. I think that's a great place to wrap us up. I'm very glad that you had an awesome time at GP Cleveland. Yeah. And thank you again to everyone who uh, who came up to me and, and, and talked to me, had me look at their sealed decks, had me sign stuff, just like shared their joy of our show here. It really means a lot. Uh, thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give that a listen. You can check us out on social media. Check us out on Twitch. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben is at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. We are both under those same handles on Twitter, and you can, of course, tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. Next up, he's got a choice between a bunch of band cards. Wait, what's BTV? Uh, Burning Tree Vandal. Burning Tree Vandal. Better Twitch TV. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs>